Well, folks, it's time to talk about some new friends we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, we'll be discussing the album of that name by none other than Elton John, who, uh, yeah, we haven't done on the show yet. And I figured, well, it, we gotta do it. It's the time to do it. So, of course, I picked my favorite Elton John album, because why wouldn't I? <laughs> of course. And it's your birthday month, and, you know, your favorite Elton John album. Plus, when we figured out that we hadn't done one, it was it was mind-blowing. So, what a great one to pick. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's not one with all the biggest hits. There's no Rocket Man here, folks, but <laughs> there is still a lot of a uh, lot of good stuff here that I'm really looking forward to diving into. Um, yeah, I'm excited because I'll ask you, outside of the single, what percentage of the population do you think is familiar with this album? It, it's really hard to say now. Um, yeah. I mean. So, because it was a very huge deal upon its release. Heard, most definitely. And it's often been considered one of Elton John's high marks, but it does seem like in this streaming era, like, it's done better than plenty of other albums of his, but, well, Elton John has pretty unusual longevity, I'll say that. Um, it does. He, actually, I checked right day before we're recording this he is as about the 19th most streamed artist in the world that's so great which that's is so... insane to think about like who else is doing that <laughs> like of that era nobody yeah I, I gotta get it out of the way early in the podcast i still haven't seen the movie i tried to do it this week and I was mad. you haven't seen it no i was mad that i didn't get to it but oh. do you think a lot of that success uh as far as in the streaming era has come on the coattails of, of the movie i heard it was amazing uh, it, um, it got rave reviews i i think it actually might have to do more with um collaborating with dua lipa and having a top 10 hit there you go that in makes 2022. heck yeah yeah i mean they did a dance remix with like four songs in one and he did a similar thing with britney spears that one of course got a lot of interest initially because it's Britney Spears's first song and it was her first song in a long in like six years and all her stuff's going on but it didn't have the longevity of uh, um the Dua Lipa track but he is definitely somebody and it's not the first time that he's come back and made his songs relevant again to um the younger generations and uh it's still going. Rocket Man, the song, just hit a billion streams on Spotify. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. And, and of course, we're talking about this album, not to get too far ahead, but this Everyman story, he's always seemed to me like he's he loves to get inside of the the come up uh and and aid musicians in whether it be navigating the waters of yes. touring and things like that, or even musically. And I love that about him. Yeah, he's very much somebody, he does not look down on younger artists. He openly collaborates with them. I mean, his whole last album was called The Lockdown Sessions, and it's collabs with artists of all kinds. There's newer artists like your Dua Lipa and Charlie Poof, but also some of his peers like Stevie Wonder are on the album too. So yeah, he man. just, 
has always uh, always shares what he's doing with the world, and that does include the people who are out making music today, whether they were influenced by him or not. And that's something that I very much respect about Sir Elton. Yeah, man. But if we're going to be talking about this album, uh, despite that crazy longevity he's had, if we go back to this album, 1975, Elton John is at the top of his game professionally. This is the peak year of it all. Like, he had been making consistent hits through the decades, through the entire decade of the 1970s at this point, starting with your song in 1970, and he just kept going. It was hit after hit. And um, he was moving along at a breakneck speed. His deal was actually for two albums a year. So, wow, yeah. Like, you never had to wait long for a new Elton John release. Um, albums would be released months apart, which is insane to think about because that just does not happen now. But there was really like the pressure to do it. And um, what we come up with to this Captain Fantastic era, it was decided like, yes, we do need to put out them, but we do need to take a bit more time with it than we have been taking. Now, in this case, this album was recorded in a month, which is still a very short time, but its predecessor, Caribou, was recorded in two weeks. And that album, commercially very successful, two huge hits on it, not quite as well received as its predecessors. So they thought, we need to really take our time the way they take their time (laughs) to do this and it was decided actually to make a concept album they elton and his um lyricist bernie taupin decided to tell to make an autobiographical album of their early years together in the late 60s when they were coming up in england and working to make names for themselves and that took on a lot of different forms i mean it often they tried to write songs for other artists and it just didn't work they played as session musicians for covers compilations that were horrid, but fun to do, according to Elton. Um, And just living together like the broke college kids they were practically, because that was their age. They were just really doing that, and they were going back to look at it, and it was decided that would be the concept for this album, and uh, they used alter egos to describe themselves. Elton is obviously Captain Fantastic, and Bernie is the Brown Dirt Cowboy. And Bernie Taupin's actually like owns a huge ranch and has for a long time now. So, uh, the alter egos are fitting to the two men, really. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a better way to describe Elton John other than Captain Fantastic. Even though I ran through a few before we started the podcast. Yeah. I like <laughs> but... Captain Fortissimo personally. <laughs> Heard that Captain Fortissimo is my favorite as well. <laughs> but no, he is Captain Fantastic and he still is today. And um, yeah, they recorded this album in a month and just really buckled down and wanted to make a quality statement and they decided we're not concerned about 
making hits, even yeah. though everything they made could they there there was a hit on everything at this point, but that was just not what they were going for. It was very much quality over quantity, I guess you could say. Like they really needed to do it and tell the story. And I think it's really cool that they did that because this was definitely a time where you didn't have even MTV yet, much less the internet. We don't get these insights into those early years like you would now in a documentary. Yeah, I got to believe when you settle, you know, two lifelong friends who, like you described, thick as thieves on the come up uh, together throughout the whole thing. When you decide you're going to do a retrospective album, um, I, I feel like that is par for the course where you really maybe almost without knowing going into those memories buckle down and tone down and really take it slow to get every piece correct and even though i chuckled when i saw it was a long album for them like you said one month which is mind-blowing because we talk about albums that have gone way longer than that oh yeah <laughs> and it's like wow these guys were cranking they you know i and well we talk about the machine being this corporate uh you know churning out hits but for its own uh reasons that they, they were the opposite man literally they were their own machine coming up and doing all the odd jobs in music um to really make it and i love that that shines through in this because and again not not getting all the way into it because we'll talk about it but the candidness inside of this from in my opinion matched with his or both of theirs beautiful ways to tell a story it just really it, it it hits the mark. It does its job on so many levels. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but of course, this is an album called Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. There has to be elements of fun in it, too. It's Elton John we're talking about, and we get that with the iconic cover art designed by Alan Aldridge. It's just now one of the most well-known images of Sir Elton, and it even became a pinball machine. Yeah, man, I played that pinball machine at Merriweather. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's a it's a classic. I absolutely love it. It is just such a great image to dive into um, with the album. And uh, you mentioned that, um, yeah, it wasn't we talked? It wasn't a singles album. It only had one single, and uh, but it didn't matter. Um, so this album was released in May of 1975, and uh, it became actually the first ever album to debut at number one on the Billboard 200. It sold 1.4 million copies in four days, and it wow. wasn't a cheap album. With um, there were, it was a pretty elaborate setup, actually, that they had in there, but. It just, it got done. It was certified gold before release. And wow. never happened before. That was just insane. Um, It was last certified triple platinum back in 1993. I'm thinking they should probably update that. <laughs> uh, never, never happened before in the history of Elton John or the history of the charts period? Charts period. Wow. Never a, ever. That's super cool. Yeah. And also topped the charts in Canada. And it was 
well received by critics and most importantly, perhaps its creators, both Elton John and Bernie Taupin have said this is their favorite of all the albums that they did because they just thought it was a special moment and they loved the story that it told. And um, in 2003 and 2012, it was put on the 500 greatest albums of all time from Rolling Stone. It was not included in the revised edition, which I do not, I I don't agree with it. Um, This should be on there instead of Honky Chateau for sure. I know Honky Chateau has Rocket Man, but it just, this was a special moment. And I don't think that's a hot tea take to say that when it's so often, I mean, if the creators are saying it's their favorite that they did. I don't think it's a hot tea take either. I'm actually sort of surprised. I must yeah. have read that wrong because I thought it said that it kept its same position, but that's in 2012 it did. But with the oh, gotcha. Most recent update. Um, the original list did have more Elton albums, but not as many the second time around, which isn't a bad thing. They wanted to have more diversity, which they should. They needed to include newer releases and all that stuff, and not just white men on the list, which was the main criticism before, too many white men, but Elton still got a couple of albums on there. I just find it really disappointing that this was not one of them. I mean, why wouldn't it be? (laughs) Yeah, really? Yeah. I'm not going to contest Goodbye Yellow Brick Road being on the list, obviously, but (laughs) this, yeah, this is not a great call there, Rolling Stone. Um, (laughs) But I mean, really, this all speaks for itself. And uh, we were talking about how Elton John's still really popular in the streaming era. Uh, this isn't the most streamed album of his by a long shot. These songs, um, I guess, haven't had quite the longevity of some of the others. But, that, I mean, I think that's a shame. I think that people should check this album out if they haven't because you really do get an insight into who Elton John is as a person like this is the time that made him who he was it's another reason it's another reason why I'm glad that you picked this because we get to use this platform to say hey at least check it out but also for and this is where I was getting to at the start of the podcast you know how many people in my opinion, I would say only probably about 30% of the mass populace knows that this is a concept album, knows that this is a, a work of the heart from Elton John. So I'm excited to share that because there is a lot of, I'm going to use it early because I'm going to use it a lot tonight, uh, a lot of genius inside of this oh, yeah. this whole entire package. Yeah, and uh this, it's personally for me, it's just the one that's always spoken to me. I mean, I first heard the big hit single, which we'll discuss first of all the songs, but later on, yeah, I bought this CD when I was like freshman in college, and I just always really enjoyed it, frankly. Um, just always felt it was this consistent thing and got all the hype. It had been a while since I sat down with it, but I'm I, I'm not surprised to be coming back into finding all this genius there because, uh, I mean, it's Elton John. I think all of his albums have to have a moment of genius just because this is of who we're dealing with here. But this is the peak of that. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about it. 
really yeah, that's man. all <laughs> no for real let's get at it because i'm excited yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. we're say excited 80 times but i know seriously. <laughs> yeah all right so our album begins with uh the title track captain fantastic and the brown dirt cowboy and this obviously tells the story of elton and bernie introduces our characters in this story um and just sets the stage for an album, which is what a good album opener should do. And it's just a true anthem, and it shows their ambition. Like, we're going from the end of the world to your town. We're going to make it. It's really that kind of song. And it does showcase, like, if there was some relative poverty, I guess you could say, especially in, by this point when they were both quite wealthy and living lavish lifestyles. Uh, but the song doesn't lag. It's not a short song, but it keeps it going very steadily throughout. And uh, I like that it's all looked back on so fondly, even if they didn't have all this money. Because um, it, well, it's interesting now in hindsight, the height of it all isn't looked back on as fondly personally by these men, especially Elton, because with fame bought a lot of excess. It's these early years that are really looked back on and remembered the most positively. Yeah, and and for me, that's super relatable. I think that's a really widely spread relatable topic here. Um, follow me if you will. Uh, I'm going to equate this album to almost, I'll say almost a rock opera. I'll say at the very least a stage show um in its production and it's in its way that it's it's given to us here so not only do i love this acoustic sound in the forefront of this song but i love it because we're in the introductory track here and i don't use the word introductory as far as the first track necessarily but more so in here's our characters here is why they want to do this here is where they came from this is our origin story track and we get this really naked and young sound uh with this acoustic composition here and i love it it's such a great way to start this stage show in my mind uh or you know this this i don't know if this is considered a rock opera but the way it plays to me i i, I it's hard for me not to consider it you know i've never seen it considered as a rock opera which doesn't make sense to me. I feel like it totally is. This is a, a concise concept. I yeah, I'm not quite getting that at all. I totally in my heart, it's a rock opera. <laughs> yeah, and this is up there. This is up there with those Tommy stories. Is there up there? Yeah, this I'm, is I'm like, not even gonna do that. I'm not even gonna do that. But it's it's it is this beautiful show, and this is the beginning, yeah. and I dig the way it's put in front of us. To me, actually, it's a very different sound, of course, and this, um, they weren't really the best of friends in real life, but the closest parallel to me for this is actually Ziggy Stardust. Agreed, agreed. It, it reminds me of that story, most of all. Yeah, this one, for me, is a little bit more cohesive. Not not getting ahead, but this one, well, you know, it, it's yeah. it's right there. It's It's very easy to follow, too. Oh, most definitely. It's uh, it's not something you really have to search too deep into, but it still manages to tell a great story, which I think is really impressive. Like, it's not too pretentious, is uh, what we're saying. And that's very important. 
um, even if the titles might maybe lead you that way, like this next song does, which is Tower of Babel. Um, it's really a song about just the industry and uh, how, like, the people that they met, like the drug dealers and the call girls, they were exploring a seedier side of life. Um, I do find it interesting that this song is so heavy on biblical allusions, which you get from the title, but I mean... It just, uh, I've read both men's memoirs. I Elton's is better than Bernie's. I highly recommend it uh, if you haven't <laughs> rather listened to it. Please change that. But um, religion wasn't a huge part of either of their upbringings based on their memoirs. So I do, I mean, it's an easy reference for a lot of people to understand. But I just, uh, it's interesting. It's just not what I'd expect from these guys. But either way, I think this is, it's a rocker of a song. It really is even more upbeat than the t um, title track. And uh, I think it just picks us up into where we're going to go. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoy the song either way, even if I find some of the choices a bit out of character. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well, so Tower of Babel, you know, humanity's trying to build, uh, I'm doing the short, short version here, build a tower to reach the heavens, um, and it goes awry. I like the way, I like the re religious symbolism here, only because the way I take it, and I've gone back and forth with this song as far as, am I reaching too far? But with the title, the tower or like the the tower shot to heaven or the tower shot to, in this case, in my opinion, is this fame is them, you know? So they're the towers and they're building these walls around the towers from the people you were talking about, uh, you know, the CD people. But also, and this might be where I'm reaching a little bit here, but I think this has a little bit of the foreshadowing for a song later on um, where we deal with love lost or we deal with a breakup or, or I'll use love lost, but I think this foreshadows a little bit here with those walls being built. The composition is so beautifully haunting is the word I'll use. And it makes you listen. It not like it smashes it in your face, but just the way this composition is wrapped around the narrative here, it's very easy to listen to and 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 follow along. I, I dig it, man. This is if I'm sticking on the stage show thing, like this is the first walk with the characters, you know? We're seeing some temptations, we're seeing little things, and we're having another look at their adventures here. And I love it. Yeah. Alton, I know he you said that you we're done touring. Just do a residency and play this for me, please. I will <laughs> I will gladly go to Vegas to do it or wherever you want to do it. I'll be there. 
Yeah, that'd be great. Preferably that'd be the awesome. spear, but <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, but uh, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. We we gotta go back to reality, which is where we are again with the next tune, which is Bitter Fingers. Um this is about how Elton and Bernie were trying to write songs for other artists and it just was not working. And because, it, well, it's hard to write a song with bitter fingers. And um, that's the specific thing to go with when you're a piano player like Sir Elton. And so it just works. Like, you can't have the bitter fingers if you're going to be banging away at the piano trying to make it. And, uh, I mean, uh, this is a genius song to me because they're talking about this disillusionment with trying to write songs for whoever. And it just, it like takes, it references these things. Like we hear the Tin Pan Alley reference in the lyrics. They have allusions to that, the style of music they were kind of being shoehorned into just for the sake of money. And even though it wasn't who they were. And, um, but, and it just has this simple, but yet really haunting almost again, piano line, but then explodes into a full on rocker. And uh, yet this is uh, just a true highlight of it. I mean, it it's autobiographical, but it's also works as a pop song. It's very catchy. It's been stuck in my head this whole week. We've been <laughs> listening to this album and, uh, and it has an edge that we don't always hear in the chart toppers from Elton John. And that's when I think it's fun to dive into the deep cuts. Um, one of my very favorites here. Yeah, I love that you touched on it, but the personableness or, or the, the real relatableness of these characters, even though they're, we're using these fictional monikers here. It's so personal to them. And it really shines through, especially here in Bitter Fingers. I love that we, in my opinion, we get, or it leads off with the most intricate piano work we get so far on the album from Sir Elton here. And it's this wild climbing, constantly climbing arpeggios throughout this composition. I love that because for me, it mirrors the climb of these two characters. And while, and it matches the narrative of them, you know, doing songs and, and having these bitter fingers, not being able to write songs with bitter fingers. And I dig that. But that switch you talk about into the rocker, man, that for me is where the real genius of this song comes. And I go back into the stage show mindset on this because it's it's a set change and it's right in front of our face but we didn't even realize it happened and now we're in a new headspace not only with the sound and style of the composition but inside of this new breakthrough headspace inside of these characters too this is a, uh, i'll say genius 20 times this is so perfectly Placed on the album, I know this story happened to them in real life, so chronologically writing it must have, or I would think, is a little bit easier. But God, God, God damn, <laughs> this sits yeah. so perfectly. It really is one of the highlights of the album for me as well. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to top, but there's several here like that. That's the... 
that's the crazy thing here. Um, but uh, but before we move on to the next song, your fingers will not be bitter if you choose to use them to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it, and also leave us a nice rating and review and follow us on social media. I have the links down in the uh, bio for you for this episode. So. But uh, in the meantime, back to the album and track number four, which is Tell Me When the Whistle Blows. That This is about just traveling from town to town in the late 60s. The whistle blowing is the train whistle in this case. Um, this is a big time riff on Philly Soul, which was one of the big sounds of uh, 1975. Uh, I mean, it's a great sound to go after. Um, uh, uh, this one is my least favorite here. The story just isn't quite as vivid as the other ones told on the album for me, and the hook just isn't strong in comparison to the others. I mean, I'm not, I don't feel like I must skip it. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm going to pick a least favorite, it's this one, but it also, I think, is admittedly hurt by its placement because it's between two very high points. It is. I, I have to think that it was intentional, but only in the sense of when I first read the title and went at it, I was thinking more of a whistle from like a factory and this is on his way out. And then when he started to talk about the old man, I was like, OK, that's where we are. No, it's about the traveling, the woes inside of it. It's it's I think. Not I think the the thing that I really love about this song is that this that narrative is hidden behind this funky Philly style scent. But I am with you. It's a tiny bit of a miss. I won't say a misstep, but just a tiny bit of a a doldrum here uh, in the in the tiniest way i mean i'm not saying that it's out of place it takes me out of the album or anything like that like you said definitely not a skip but yeah i guess that's a great way to put it if we had or if i had to pick two this one is the lowest on the album which is oh I, I, it's hard for me to even say the words you know because it, it, it's just there isn't really any lows on this album no it's a no skip album uh, yeah. folks but there always has to be one that's not as good but I'm, I'm glad you said that one because if it were a later one I just would have been really hurt if one of the later ones was your least favorite on the album because we're getting it out of the way early here good and... <laughs> yeah no that's a good it's... thing folks because that means it's all, all up from here even and we're already on up um but we're gonna end side one with a real bang here um track five someone saved my life tonight now this is a uh small trigger warning here folks um this song is about elton john attempting suicide in 1968 so if you want to skip past this part and you don't want to hear that, I don't blame you. Uh, if that's wrong for you, you can. If that's um, if that's triggering for you, you can move past it and hear us talk about the rest of the album. But we do have to talk about this song because, well, it's part of the album and it's the album single. We can't avoid it. And, but it's a great song anyway, and uh, it wasn't successful. So. The backstory is that Elton was engaged to a woman, but really unhappy in it, this uh, relationship. But 
at the time, his uh, friend and former bandmate, Long John Baldry, said to him, like, you you can't be happy with a woman because you're gay. But Elton didn't even realize that. He didn't even quite grasp what that meant. Um, he was quite naive and naive, being just 21 at this point in time. And uh, the attempt was unsuccessful. Elton did place his head in a gas oven, but he left the windows open. So it would have never worked just based on that fact alone. Um, and uh, Elton now pretty much says, like, this was partially, if I did that, no, I didn't actually want to die. It was somewhat to draw some attention to me. Uh, it's kind of, he didn't put it in exactly those words, but that was the point that he was getting at. But um, still, this was a really intense thing to record, and it was a tense session. The producer, Gus Dudgeon, he wasn't pleased with the vocal, but um, Davy Johnstone... The guitarist had to say, hey, you know what he's singing about, right? So they just let it go and uh, did the song. And uh, most revealing song here, yet it was chosen as the single, which subject-wise, why would this be the single? But musically, it makes perfect sense because it's a gorgeous song. It just has these lovely vocal harmonies throughout all of it, beautiful piano, all, it just comes together so perfectly, and, uh, it's not a depressing song, in a way it's uplifting, uh, to me, for, um, I mean, you know, it might be a bit problematic that, yeah, I first heard this when I was, like, in 12, or, when I was, like, 12 or 13, and I really connected with the song, and that makes me think, hmm, okay, maybe not the best indication of where I was, but I've always loved this song. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I'm going to go straight to the, the stage show here, and this is how you end the first act. We've gone all the way through the early trials and tribulations, and we come to the end of the first side of the album, and we find out that our main protagonist is, is not having a good time, and in fact has moved towards uh, trying to end his own life. That being said, it doesn't, for me, stick to that too much where it takes away from this song at all. It more so, I love this song because this is our tragedy and then being saved right at the end of this first act here. Um, I mean, it's... You, you've already stated it. It's him slamming on the baby grand with so much passion and soul. Just these beautiful, beautiful vocal harmonies accompanying it. Six plus minutes and some of the most beautiful full of music six plus minutes out there to this day. Um, so beautiful that they couldn't even cut it down for, for a single, which is a, a, a testament to itself. But this is it, man. This is the end of the first act. Everything's good. Sugar Bear saves the day. Drop the curtain. It's intermission time. And what a great way to do it. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, quite an intermission. And yeah, it didn't matter. The song didn't need to be cut down. Uh, it made it the number four on the Hot 100, number two in Canada, 22 back in the UK. But Yet another hit for Elton. It didn't matter the life. He'd already 
had a long single the year before with a don't let the sun go down on me, but this takes it a step further by being over a minute longer than that one. But yeah, it didn't matter. You can't deny this song. And speaking of the live performances, I, I, I've seen Elton John twice. The first time I was 14, he was in Baltimore. And I enjoyed the concert, of course, but I was a little sad he didn't do this song or Daniel, two of my very favorites by him. But when I saw him for the Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour, he did both of them in major high okay. points of the show for me, especially this one, because, again, can't deny the song. It's perfect. So Yeah, I, this one is the one that everyone knows. I mean, of course, it's a single, but this goes back to the point that I was trying to make at the starting of, of tonight is this one is known by the world, but still not many people would even know what album it came off of or that it's inside of this beautiful rock opera. I'm going to keep saying it till it yep, becomes a thing. It I, is. I, I, I know I'm going to get flack because there's definitely criteria that might not be, uh, that it might not hit here for a rock opera, but it's a rock opera to me, damn it. <laughs> I mean... But if we're going to go rock opera, does it get more rock opera than our next song? I'm not not sure it does. I think this is. I'm with you. Eat, eat your hearts out if you're making a rock opera and you can't make a banger like this one, which is uh, the first song on side two. Gotta get a meal ticket. Um, Just a song about the struggle of trying to make it. It's a uh, there is a lot of hard work that goes into being a successful musician, but luck is a big part of it. So. Gotta get a meal ticket. Um, I read a book for this uh, podcast that I bought a few years ago at Barnes & Noble called Captain Fantastic Elton John's Stellar Trip Through the 1970s. It's by uh, Tom Doyle. It's a very, very good book. Some of it's a bit obsolete because of Elton's own memoir, but it's still good to get an outsider's perspective, too, I think. But, um, yeah, it's a full-on rocker. There's no stop in here nothing slow about it uh but the book called it disco tinged poverty rock which that's I, perfect i love that yeah. <laughs> i love that it is perfect but um yeah uh as we said there was only one single if there was going to be a second single this absolutely should have been it i think this would have uh been a a big hit for them. Um, but because of how it was, the follow-up album was released the big five months after this one. <laughs> so. I mean, you you don't get any better than this. Opening up a second half, I, I'll, I'll narrate the opening of the second half. Curtains come up and now we see Captain Fantastic uh, and Cowboy out there working it. You know, he's been saved and now we start act two and they are working a hardworking composition for a hardworking narrative. It fits so perfectly. It rocks. <laughs> I mean, poverty rock. Uh, you can't put it into better words. You can't surmise it better. Uh, such a hard banger start to the second side of this album. Really well done. Really well done. Um there's not enough good things to say about this. Just the way that it opens it up and keeps this story rolling and keeps us uh, invested inside of this narrative. It's, it's really well done. Yeah. Most definitely. And 
we're just going to keep on rolling with our seventh song, which is Better Off Dead. Uh, I would say it's possibly the angriest song here, even though really the song's telling us to kind of push through the hard times, even it's a, like it's a bad world out there, but you got to keep going. Um, but the tone of it is quite a bit angry, at least the way it sounds to me. And it does have a unique thing going on here. So the drums on this song, according to Nigel Olson, the band's drummer, were put through a harmonizer. Um, and that does give this song a different kind of punch to it, which I really appreciate. Uh, it's a pretty short song, but it definitely packs a punch. And it's really hard to get, <laughs> it's hard to get out of your head. Uh, I don't like it quite as much as the previous song, but I do enjoy this one here and it just keeps our story going very well it does it's a truly introspective look at overcoming life inside of itself and i love that but maybe it's a hot tea take maybe it's not for me this is the anthem of the whole entire story here and not only is it this anthem about overcoming and and rising above and if you're not you're you're better off dead but it's driven by this syncopated beat that never stops pushing the song the way the narrative is saying to us to never stop pushing yourself and i love that uh another genius piece here for me as far as composition goes because it just fits so well it fits so well this is the anthem for me we're coming out of of seeing the captain fantastic and and cowboy working uh, hard and now they're realizing that maybe not everybody does it but they're going to keep doing it and they're going to push everybody to, to keep going through with it I love this one yeah and that work ethic is explored in the next track actually um, which is called writing it's a song about writing songs <laughs> um, I mean that's because that's just what they were doing that was their life they were living together in a flat and it the times were lean but that was the main focus like just get these songs like we're really collaborating and putting it together but even if it might seem like a on paper it's kind of a silly concept for a song it's kind of like okay how can this be good but the thing is it works really well actually because um it's a bit of a palate cleanser because we had some pretty, the a few previous songs were pretty heavy. This has a very breezy sound to it that I just love. But it just manages to give us that insight into the process that I think we didn't get now almost 50 years ago. I mean, these days, artists can post on social media when they're writing or if they're in the studio. You didn't have that then. So... To have a song like this really show what the process is like, I think it was a real treat for the listener and perhaps one that some people took for granted. But I, for one, am really happy to have this song here because not only does it do that, it sounds immaculate as well. <laughs> yeah, immaculate is is one of the uh, hashtags for this album, in my opinion. <laughs> but I, I, I'm right with you on this one. So, like the epitome of, especially this duo, the epitome of their love, the the epitome of the end, uh, 
the end product of their craft is writing these beautiful songs. And this one is, is a little bit wild. I might be reaching a tad, but I was reading that they were writing this while they were, I don't know if it was a cruise, but they were on some type of vessel. Um, I don't know if it was in the islands, but this has an island sound to it. But this happiness of being out uh, and doing what you truly love is so present in this song. It's a true, I, I have it in my notes, a truly happy song. And it resonates from the heart. And you don't get that very often, especially in such a candid way here. Um, I'm right with you. At first you say like, or I did, uh, a song about writing songs, that's a little silly. But no, it's 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 the opposite. This is the true end product of the whole entire uh, the whole entire stage show here. The, we're we're watching our protagonists in in this victorious piece, and it works so well because it has this it has a sound that's very different from the rest of the album. But I think, in uh, in my opinion, that drives the happiness and really drives home the point of this song. I love this song. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it is, man. It is. Yeah. Oh, yes. I was I was a little worried. I was like, I really hope you don't think writing is a filler track because it's so not. No, but at first, I feel like if you're not committed, like if you were just to hear that track alone, I feel like at first, maybe some people, some listeners would be like, eh, it's an okay track because it has a levity about it that outside of the, uh, outside of the whole package here is lost a tad if you don't know what's going on oh yeah yeah most definitely but it is part of a story and now the story has to have an epic finale and we have we have a two-part one um that begins with the penultimate track which is we all fall in love sometimes um this is a song that has been cited by both elton and bernie as this track that best sums up the relationship that they have with each other. Um, and this time period. I mean, Elton has said he really did love Bernie in a completely, in a way that wasn't romantic or sexual, but he said, like, it is the most important relationship of my entire life. Like, he said that because we just get each other in that way. Um and it wouldn't have ever worked. Bernie Taupin was married <laughs> to a woman, so it just obviously orientation-wise never would have worked, but it's such an important partnership, not just for these two men, but for popular music. Because <laughs> who can imagine popular music without the songwriting duo? It's really hard. I can't wrap my head around that, and I'm glad that I don't have to. But, um... Yeah, it's a beautiful song, uh, and you can interpret it to be whatever you want it to be. Like, we all fall in love sometimes. I think this is a song that can fit into anybody's situation at any given time. And uh, I also, there's a great allusion here. I really love the line, the empty sky was full of laughter, because Empty Sky is the name of the very first Elton John album released in 1969. So... They're making that illusion to show where we are in this story. We're at the end of the period with the release of Empty Sky. But 
it's a pretty beloved track in its own right as an album cut. It even got covered by Coldplay on a 2018 tribute album called Revamp. Uh, I did listen to that when it came out. I haven't in a while yet. Um, but I don't even feel like I need to bother with a cover of this song because I like it just as it is. Yeah, it, it's a beautiful one. It th We've used the word haunting twice. This is oh, the third time is. I'll use it. it. And first listen, I really thought that this was oh. a look back after success to the love lost in the relationship that we were talking about in someone saved my life tonight but then was i'll say it, i was happy to find out that in fact it was this celebration of this platonic best friend music relationship between these our, our two protagonists it's such a fitting way to do the first hit half of this finale piece here and it, it's great i mean it speaks like the rest of this album so true in its candidness of of just laying it out and being like you know i love this dude right here he, he's 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 my main man from from the get-go and and to allude back to that first album just is a testament to both of their genius as songwriters as as a duo it's it's God, man, I could just keep saying I love it, I love it, I love it, but it really is a work of art. Oh, yeah. And this work of art does have a proper finale with the song fittingly titled Curtains, but it's part of a medley, and uh, it keeps on with the nostalgia of the previous song, and it doesn't have a lot of lyrics, but um, it's really about just this wrapping this story up and creating that nostalgic atmosphere that's also a little haunting because it is kind of scary to look back at times and uh, it just you gotta let this song take you for a ride and uh, that's what that's all you can do you can't think too critically about it. you just gotta think about how it makes you feel and it just succeeds at wrapping up this album just so well it's definitely one of my favorite closers that we've discussed on the show just for how it ties this whole story together. It's a true finale piece. I go back to the stage show here. This is a final movement in a beautiful, beautiful piece. Like it, it, there's no other way to say it. It is really, it grows, it grows musically throughout it features and showcases throughout the whole entire album inside of itself. And it finishes with this entire ensemble send-off. I mean, we got tubular bells in there. It is literally this grandiose finale. And the curtains drop. All puns intended here. <laughs> but all, yeah. all it was on purpose by then. This is it. That's the curtains to this beautiful show. A standing ovation is now the only thing we can do. It, what a fitting end to this album. I can only imagine buying this album day one and being floored by it. Oh, yeah. You know? Yes, yeah, so, so can I. Um, But so interestingly, yes, the album absolutely ends with curtains. There is no denying that. But when this album was reissued on CD, free bonus tracks were added to it. Um. 
and they're the singles of this era, and um, <laughs> which uh, they weren't album singles, so I guess this is the album they would fit in time period wise, just not, but they're not part of this story, but they are interesting tracks to talk about and well, well-known ones too. So we are going to discuss them and they are the standard streaming version now, um, which I kind of wish you could just listen to the 10 songs on, it could end at track 10 on or streaming, they, but. Yeah, or they note it and, and put yeah. it there because there's no way you would know. And I feel like, and not getting ahead, but I mean, we're we're at the bonus tracks. I feel like that takes a little bit away from your first time listener who has no oh, idea because it, it, it feels disjointed and it's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah. No, I had I, a bit of an issue with it when I got the CD. I was like, wait, we went from curtains to this? Yeah. But I, I I got yeah. a cool little theory about it or the way I like to handle these three yeah. tracks, but I'll save it till we're done. Oh, <laughs> I have a more simple one. I think they put it on there so more people would buy the CD. Uh, That's all I think it is. I'll say it now. I like to treat it as the concert's over and this is the play out music as we're clearing the concert hall. Like (laughs) These three tracks are what we hear on the way out of the venue. That could work. That could work. (laughs) You gotta think of it somehow because we're in a different world now. But the first of these bonus tracks is... A Beatles cover, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So this one has some great backstory to it. So um, in 1974, Elton John became really good pals with John Lennon. And Lennon's life was pretty turbulent at this point. It was part of his lost weekend. He was estranged from Yoko Ono. But um, Elton John has really only positive memories of time spent with Lennon, which is good to hear. Um, because that well wasn't everybody's experience, but I'm glad Elton had good things to say about the man. Um, but at this point in time, Elton John played on a couple of songs on um John's Walls and Bridges album, including Whatever Gets You Through the Night, which Elton John bet John Lennon would be a number one hit. Lennon didn't believe him, but it became a number one hit. And crazy, Lennon was the last. Beatle to have a solo number one hit in the U.S. All his bandmates had topped the charts before he did. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I was thinking Harrison after that, but that was before. No, My Sweet Lord. He was the first to top the charts, actually, with My Sweet Lord. Yeah. But anyway, this bet, because he lost the bet, Lennon had to appear at Elton's MSG show on Thanksgiving Day in 1974. And it was, it was insane. And (laughs) yeah, they played that song and they also played um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and I Saw Her Standing There. And it ended up being Lennon's final live performance ever. So yeah, if only we could get in a time machine and attend this show, that would have been an epic thing to see for sure. But um. Yeah, the song got recorded, and Lennon actually couldn't remember the chords. Uh, Davy Johnstone had to tell them, had to remind them of the chords. To Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? Yes. I, I guess I can sort of see that. that it's was all a... them drugs, man. 
Well, he, that and it's not that. I mean, he's playing through the chords, but he's never truly ever really the way that this one is structured, you know, because it's a, oh, it's yeah. a different take on. Well, it. no, even the original, he didn't. The Beatles were done touring by the time they recorded Sergeant Pepper's. So I'm like, that much of a Beatle head that I'm sitting here trying to give John the benefit of the doubt for forgetting his own songs. <laughs> He was on them drugs. It, it's that simple. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think he played it live often, but because if the Beatles weren't touring, but anyway, yeah, it no, it is a different cover. It's almost twice as long and even has a slight reggae tint to it for some reason. Um, yeah. I mean, it is, again, it's very notable that it's a Beatles cover with a cosign from a Beatle. That's great. I mean, we've covered a couple of them on this podcast, actually, already, but I think those are, that's a neat subgenre of Beatles covers, I think, when we find them. Um, as for this, is it better than Bowie's Across the Universe? Uh, How you going apples to oranges on me out of nowhere? <laughs> well, I, I'm because I'm trying to be nice like here. No, I'm trying to be nice. I think it's better than that. I don't think this is an essential Elton John song at all. Um, oh, this, we just, we lose something here. It just doesn't, just doesn't work for me. Uh, oh, and it this top the charts. <laughs> well, that's because it's, it's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. I don't care which way you cut it. Uh, it doesn't sound contrived, though. I will give it No, that. it doesn't. Do that's I like the, it better than Across the Universe? I don't even know, man. You it's hated tough. that. I know that's, that's what I'm saying. It's that's a, my silver lining playbook on this version of Blue Sea in the Sky is it doesn't sound contrived. It has its own. It, it has its own take. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I said, it's like play out music. Like I'll hear it and be like, oh, that's a cool cover of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds while I'm walking out of the venue, but like. To sit down and go through this, I don't know. It, it doesn't do it for me. No. That, for for first-time listeners, you might be like, wow, that's a little hard. But I I have a huge love for the Beatles. I'm not, I'm not a purist or anything like that. But I don't know. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is its own thing, man. <laughs> and I don't care how you try to wrap your brain around covering it. For me, it's never going to come out the same. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a, ah, I almost uses the word novel. It's a cool try and a cool take. It's not terrible, uh, but it I just mean, ain't, it ain't for me. <laughs> it would be a novelty if it wasn't a chart topping single because that, that that's mind blowing. <laughs> but, and, well, in a way, it makes sense because the um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band had no singles on there it. You go. But there um, you go. I mean, this is an example of it got covered by another artist and topped the charts. So, yeah, but no, it didn't need to be. It just, it didn't need to be done. Um, and, it, I mean, Elton hasn't played it live in years, and he doesn't need to. That's why I go back to, for the streaming first time at this album, make a notation there and say, bonus tracks because you yeah. come out of curtains into losing the sky with diamonds you're yeah. like what the hell yeah i mean it predates the album even by a few months it was released at the end of 1974 
So, but, well. A little disjointed. I, yeah. I, that being said, this does not affect our grading. No, next not time. at all. <laughs> these bonus tracks do not have any bearing on our grade, but they're interesting to discuss. We had they the, are. we can't not discuss Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Um, well, <laughs> actually, maybe we could not. The, the next one's pretty forgettable. Um, track 12, uh, One Day at a Time. This was the B-side to the single, and it was a solo Lennon track originally on his Mind Games album. Uh, um, yeah, this is just a pretty forgettable tune. I mean, the previous song is undoubtedly one of Lennon's high points as a songwriter, one of his all-time classics. This isn't one of them. I'm sure this was just a nice way. It's like, okay, John, you'll get another, uh, more of a royalty check if we have two of your compositions. You don't have to split this one with Paul. Or, you know, more, maybe so in that. And in that's that the respect, cynical but... look. I think they were genuinely friends and vibing and all that. I don't know. Yeah, that. this, this was, in my opinion, this was a case of John Lennon being like, man, I really love this song. And I think everybody's going to love it as much as I do. And I'm going to record it. And for me, it's like, why is this on here, man? Why? I, I'll take it again as walkout music. But these two yeah. tracks, I don't even know why you release this as bonus tracks on this, you know, I, in a non-cynical take. And it's cynical take. This is a money grab. I mean, <laughs> it's weird to say that it, after this epic opus that we just went through. For the reissue, it absolutely is. But, I mean, they are songs people... at the. Previous one is certainly a song people know. Yeah. I mean, and well, they definitely know the last bonus track. Um, an even bigger hit than the chart. It's another chart topper. This is none other than Philadelphia Freedom. Um, this song was written for Elton John's good friend, Billie Jean King, who played for a tennis team called the Philadelphia Freedoms. And this was a rare example, actually the first time ever Elton said to Bernie, I need you to write a song called this. He gave him the title of the song and said, I need you to write this. And Bernie knew, like, okay, I'm not going to write about tennis. I don't know shit about Philly. He didn't say that exactly, but he pretty much admitted the song really doesn't he didn't really have an intent with it. It didn't really mean anything, but it kind of took on a meaning of its own. It was released a year before the nation, um, the U.S.'s bicentennial, and it was seen as a really patriotic song. And uh, it, again, is definitely influenced by Philly's soul, but it has its own Elton John sheen to it. It's not quite like Tell Me When the Whistle Blows, which is more of a straight take on it. This has its own... Elton flair to it um and uh this is a classic oh, that's yeah. <laughs> um that's really i've always loved this song uh ever since the first time i heard it um does not belong with the rest of these i'm sure putting this specifically i think was an attempt to sell more cds because who why wouldn't you want a CD? You, you need to have a CD with Philadelphia Freedom on it. Come on. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the song's a classic. A uh, bit low on the streams, actually, in my opinion. I know it's uh, still 43 million streams is a lot, but just in comparison to other Elton tunes, 
of this era that's a bit low and I think it should be a lot more because yeah this is a banger <laughs> it, it's that jam it really is uh, it, in a hypothetical sense if they were like could you fit this in the album I would say maybe you could put this in between better off dead and writing uh as like a funky happy deal yeah. but most of most of the narrative is in england and 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 landmarks inside of that so the america philadelphia doesn't really fit but on its own i mean it's that jam um this is if i'm walking out of the venue this is the one i'm dancing to you know what i'm yeah. saying like i'm like oh the night's over we got to find somewhere else to go uh and and i'm happy on my way out the, the, you can't say anything else about this song. It's just, it is that piece. It's it's a beautiful, you could turn it on whenever. You could be, or I could be in my maddest mads or saddest sads and pop that on and at least be dancing around, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, interestingly, on the tour, I, the farewell tour, it was played pretty early in the show, actually. It was not a walkout song by any means, but I was still thrilled to hear it, of course. This is a, yeah. Not that, much else was, it, to say. Was oh, it unre it was unreleased at this point as far as an Elton John song? So or? it was a one-off single. Gotcha. Um that was it. And it was actually released as the Elton John band. Or it was the only single released under that name. But um what I think is really cool is that the B-side for the single is the live recording of I Saw Her Standing There, done by Elton and Lennon. At the garden in '74. Oh, the thanks. I actually have this 45. It's awesome. No shit. That's a 45 to have, yeah. man. That's, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I'd like the, to listen to that. <laughs> it's all, yeah, definitely one of my most prized 45s I own because, oh, Heck yeah. Um, yeah, two classics that make, I wish that was on here instead of one day at a time. It's that live, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of Elton's all-time classics and the deserved number one hit. Yeah, nothing, nothing else you could say about Philadelphia Freedom, but uh, it's not part of the album. We the and uh, these songs are not part of our grade, but um, now it is time to grade this album. I kind of think we, I both know, I know where we're going with this. So what's what's the grade? The grade for Captain Fantastic. Starts off, man, with an album that could give Rodgers and Hammerstein a run for their money <laughs> as far as a full entire thought, a full entire stage show in my brain. I mean, from open to the literal curtains, uh, we are given this beautiful trip, this beautiful narration, and in hindsight, this beautiful look into the history of these two music makers and their struggle and victory. And there is no down point in this album. There are really no missteps. I know we talked about, you know, a, a little bit of if we had to pick, but it really this album pacing narratively, compositionally, the intent, the clear intent and perfection of of it uh of putting everything in its place throughout this and it was written chronologically it is really one of the few gems where i had 
nothing bad to say. It's it's very, very, very fulfilling to critically listen to an album like this and be just blown away by the pure genius of one of a, a living legend, literally a living legend. I give this album a straight up A. Yeah, it's an A. It's yeah. it was never really gonna be a question, was it? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went at it hard. I went yeah. at it hard, harder than most. And I just came out liking it more and more each time. Like that's agreed. it's one of those. <laughs> agreed. Like there's stuff in here that I'll share with friends and be like, yo, did you ever know? And and go through this. And there's there's really some cool stuff inside of this when once you pick through it. Oh, you're right, man. Every single listen, I was more and more enthralled with this album. Thank you for picking this one. Oh. I, I haven't listened to this album in years, and I was pleasantly surprised to pick it up and, and, and have a jaunt with it. Yeah, it had been a while for me, too, but I was very happy to revisit this one. Um, this has definitely been a bit of a month of revisits for me. Um, And, uh, well, actually, before I introduce what we're doing next, favorite song, if you have to pick one. I very rarely do this, but it's the single for me. There's I mean, no way around. I sing Sugar Bear on the regular walking around the house. In all honesty, growing up, I thought the name of the song was Sugar Bear. And I, whenever I would ask to hear it played, I would ask for the Sugar Bear song. I love that song. I can't get around no. it. If I had to do, if I had to pick one outside of it, like if it didn't exist, I really think Gotta Get a Meal Ticket is is my jam on this. Oh. Uh, it's it's really well done. I'm with you on both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the singles, are, you can't deny someone saved my life tonight. But, oh yeah, meal tickets a very close second for me. But again, none of them are bad, so. Yeah, true. But uh, now, um, the next one we're going to do, uh, again, it's, it's a time of revisiting for me. I'm thinking about some ones I haven't picked up for a full spin in a while. And also just some... Artists we haven't done yet has been a main thing for me. And uh, enough, the um, Elton is one of two artists. I was racking my brain and really thinking, I can't believe we haven't done them yet. And um, the other one, I I have to do the other one now too, obviously. Um, it's a bit more of a shock that I haven't picked it yet than um, for you. <laughs> um, so uh, we are going to be discussing the one and only Whitney Houston. Okay. <laughs> What album um, are we doing? We are going to be doing 1998's My Love Is Your Love. Okay, okay, all right. Um, yeah, maybe not the first one you were expecting to hear. I thought you were going to say the Bodyguard soundtrack. No, no, I'm we, just messing. <laughs> no, I love the Bodyguard, but it Me actually <laughs> is not all Whitney Houston songs. Heard, 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 um, heard. Not that we can't do it, but uh. That I want to discuss all Whitney is what I want I like to it. do. I like um, it a lot. Yeah, so we're going to be doing this one, and it is a uh, unique album, and really um, not the most tea of a backstory, except for one song, but um, we'll get into that when we get into it. But it's an interesting um, thing where she really adapted her sound to meet where the music world and listeners were going in the late 90s she really yeah. changed herself and did something new while still remaining herself uh, it, I will tell you all it's not going to be as good as 
this one was. This one's pretty hard to top with the no skips, but it's a cool thing to discuss. And I am looking forward to talking about Whitney Houston. Yeah, it's going to be a neat one to discuss her at this time in her life, too. This is a really, uh, this is a really, you, you said it, but it, this is where she turns the corner in a lot of aspects. And uh, this will be a cool one. Pray for my family this week as they get to listen to me trying to sing Whitney Houston while I clean the <laughs> kitchen and listen to this album. Uh, well, well, the good news is um, more restrained vocals here. You don't have to go as hard here. <laughs> that's the that's the good news with this. I I I could easily yes, I could. We can sing these songs at karaoke without making everyone's ears bleed. Unlike those of the classics. Maybe, maybe you can. <laughs> uh, no, I mean in the grand scheme of things. Let's just. <laughs> I don't know about me, but keep my family in your thoughts this week. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was all right. One. But Heck yes, yeah. but um, until next time, folks. Remember, our love is your love, and we will see you all very soon. Take care. Peace.